Welcome to the Crossings Church Podcast, where we strive to love God and love people. And now, here's this week's message. Hey, good morning. Look at you guys here on Super Bowl weekend. Hey, uh, today we're in Mark chapter 5, and uh, we're, we're talking about conquering evil. Um, this is a really exciting story. We've got a demoniac, a guy that has a whole bunch of demons in him. We'll talk about possibly how many. I guess that's not really important. Uh, but evil's real. Uh, growing up, you know, in a, a Pentecostal church and uh, a father that was in, in and out of prison, alcoholic, I, I saw, you know, the good and the uh, bad of uh, some evil stuff, you could say. But one time in the Army, I was... Um, it's actually out of basic training and into what they call AIT in Fort Gordon, Georgia. And it was the middle of the day. And this new guy walked into our platoon area wearing nothing but his tidy whiteies. I mean, you know, that's a warning right there. I should have said right then, this is a problem. And I did. Because I said, hey, how you doing? Because I'm a friendly guy and I'd rather talk to someone than not. <clears throat> and uh, he ignored me, walked by me like I wasn't there, which I was like, Oh, wow. And I noticed he did that with everybody and had a dazed look on his face. So I told the guys, I said, hey, guys, he's a problem. They're like, yeah, probably. And um, so he kind of faded out of existence. I don't know where he went, but he continued to meander in the middle of the day around in his tidy whities and we went about our business. And that night, I'm on what was called fire guard. Now, fire guard means guard duty, and you took two-hour shifts then. And, and so I had the 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. shift, and everybody got up and got moving at 5. So uh, I was the last of the watch, and uh, we, the third platoon, were in this uh, old building that was repurposed, and we were on the third floor. And on the third floor, we were the only four rooms occupied that made up the third platoon. The rest of the whole third floor was completely empty, uh, Furniture not set up. It was a disaster all the way down the hallway. Just the four rooms at the very end of the hallway is what we occupied. And where we would do fire guard, you sat in a steel chair. And above the steel chair was a dim light bulb. Just like Spielberg or somebody made this scene up. And so I set my, my fire guard chair. And to my right, one of the rooms, eight-man rooms, was the dude, the tidy-whitey guy closest to my door. I'm laying in his bed all rigid, just going like this. And I'm like, oh, man, that's just weird. And then he started mumbling stuff. Then he jumped out of his bed and was yelling at something that wasn't there, some thing that was tracking. And he jumped back. I said, hey, get in your bed. And he'd get in his bed. I'm like, man, this guy's freaking me. So I went down to the command of quarters, the guy that's supposed to be the adult in the room that's supposed to be awake all night. I said, Sergeant, there's a crazy guy in our floor. He doesn't have anything. He's in his tidy white. He's mumbling things and jumping up and yelling. And, and uh, I just need to let you know. He said, go deal with it, Mahoney. So I went, and the guy's gone. He's running down the empty part of the hallway, freaking out, yelling at things. And the sergeant tells me, go get him, Mahoney. And he goes back downstairs, I guess, to sleep. And so I'm walking down this hallway, and this guy jumps out of a room just ah, freaking out and growling and everything else. And, and see, I'm a church kid that grew up in a Pentecostal church, so I knew about people that had demons for sure. But I'm also a kid that hadn't been going to church because I was away in the Army misbehaving. 
not really misbehaving, but just not going to church like I should. And I thought, man, if I go pray for that guy, he may, like, Acts chapter 7, jump on me and whoop me. I was a little concerned, so guess what I did? I did the bravest thing I could do. I let him run down the hallway, be as crazy as he wanted to be, and I went back and sat under my dimly lit chair <laughs> and prayed for the morning. <laughs> I'm a hero. I can't help it. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with that crazy person, man. I'll be honest with you. I, the last thing I wanted to be like, hey, you heard of Jesus? And you know, I was like, no, no, no. Did not want anything to do with it. Get, take your evil and go down the hallway. And, uh, but in this case, in the story we're about to read, that's not what happened at all. Uh, Jesus confronts evil and he conquers evil and he does such a better job than me. Um, and if there's ever been a time in our world that we would say, hey, we really need evil to be conquered, it's, it's today. Like, our world is growing darker, not lighter. So if you will, let's, uh, let's go to uh, Mark 5, verse 1, and we're going to pull out how Jesus conquered evil. So let's go. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. I just want to say, following Jesus is exciting. Come on, guys. Following Jesus is exciting. Here we have the disciples. They're in the boat with Jesus. They go to the Gerasenes. Now, let's talk about the Gerasenes for a second. This would be the equivalent to Vegas in the Mideast. Let me explain. When we talk about the Gerasenes or Tyre or Sidon and seven other cities... They were all on the eastern side of Galilee. This is where a lot of uh, Greco-Roman people, ex-soldiers and different folks, settled in those ten cities. Rome pumped a ton of money into these ten cities. They were the fancy cities. They had nice paved streets even. They had, uh, you've heard of Herodians' Wall? Well, they had Herodians' Arch in one of these cities. They had great uh, architecture. They had gymnasiums. They had gyms there. How, if you know me, that'd be fun. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for laughing. And in these gyms, now this isn't the fun part, uh, people would be naked and work out. I don't get that, but that's what they did. And so they would bodybuild, and then they would teach classes in the gyms, and they would learn uh, poetry, and they would learn the Iliad, and they would learn sculpting, and they would learn all these arts, and then they would um, uh, talk about it all day. The, the gymnasiums were like this educational place, and um, they had temples to worship different gods and goddesses, and they would have temple prostitutes, and they had arenas and games, and it was like Vegas on steroids, this area was, the Gerasenes. In fact, I talked last week about the Pharisees kind of get a bad rap because they really blow it when Jesus comes on the scene. But the Pharisees were really a group of people that were working against this Greek influence, the Hellenization of that area. Um, Alexander the Great, before he died, set out to make Greek the known language of everywhere and Greek culture the trade language and the way people did things with their culture. 
His successors really succeeded after he died. And they Hellenized much of the known world. In fact, the Greek language was a blessing to the New Testament even because everybody spoke Greek. They did a great job. Well, when they would move into an area, and the Romans picked it up too, uh, their goal was to make everybody in the culture believe and do the same thing, act the same way. And that's part of why these ten cities existed. And they even had a couple gymnasiums, believe it or not, in Jerusalem that had been found. But the Pharisees stepped up and says, oh no, you're not bringing that garbage into our society. We love God, we love the scriptures, and we are going to set rules, and we are going to be faithful, and you're not going to turn us from God. How many think that's noble? I, I think it's totally noble. Nobody thinks it's noble, just me. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in the wrong crowd. So, imagine this. And, and the Pharisees taught, if you're a good, religious, God-fearing Jewish person, guess what ten cities you didn't go to? You didn't go to the Decapolis. That was the name for all ten cities. You did not go there. You did not go to the Gerasenes or Tyre or Sidon. You didn't go there. Be like, you bragging to be like, guys, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going crazy. Nobody says that in the church lobby. And you wouldn't say that as a good Jewish guy saying, I'm going to go to the Decapolis. Well, Jesus, now the most prominent rabbi in Israel. Crowds are gathering around to see him. He's, he's making a name for himself. And Jesus gets his 12 disciples in a boat, and guess where he goes? He goes to the party place. He goes to the Gerasenes. We never look at that in Scripture, but he's going to a place they did not go. How many think the disciples were like, all right. <laughs> you know, they had to be like, okay, this is weird. I'm a good guy. I go to synagogue. We don't go here. I mean, they had to have questions because following Jesus will put you on the edge. It'll take you places you typically don't go. And now Jesus is breaking rules and going to the Gerasenes. And then when they get there, let's read the description of the guy. It's better in the Bible. Here we go. Verse 3, it says, this man lived in the tombs. That's fun. To me, uh, verse 3, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs. And in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So verse 3 through 5, we get a description of this guy now. He's naked. He's yelling. He's strong. No one could bind him, though they tried many times. And now he's cutting himself. This guy's a frightening sight. Would you agree? How many of you ever saw someone like that? How many have gone to Vegas? Don't, I've been there. How many have been there? How many have seen that guy on the street in Vegas? <laughs> At least one of them, like, that's him. So here this guy comes, and he comes to Jesus. And he's been on this self-help program, and people have been trying to help him out. They've tried to bind him. They can't bind him. They've tried to control his mess. Have you ever had that friend that just takes things too far and gets too loud and too crazy and you're like okay you're killing it for everybody he was that guy and they tried to chain him up and they tried to control him and can I tell you that human self-improvement is so so limited I mean sure it helps some but 
But self-help so many times is no help at all. And this guy had every kind of self-help you could get. Every kind of human effort that could be employed was employed on this guy. Like, man, you're out of control. And they finally reverted to, we're going to chain you up. We're going to bind you hand and foot. And literally, nothing they did would help the guy. It just got worse. It got darker. Man, sin is destructive. Satan's plan, again, is to kill, steal, destroy. At the end of this guy's self-help program, now he's cutting himself with stones and crying out in the tombs. And people are just like, okay, we'll just set him over there. Can I say that as culture gets darker, destruction gets bigger? Our culture, guys... uh, I mentioned the frog in the kettle where it's turned up just a little bit. If you put a frog in a kettle who's heard this story and you turn the temperature up just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little, that frog will stay there as he adjusts to that heat. He will stay there till he cooks. And I feel like in our culture sometimes we're, we're like the decapolis. We're like this demon-possessed guy that it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. When I saw a couple weeks ago, and I'd be remiss not to say this, a couple weeks ago, New York passed an abortion bill that says you can kill a child right up to birth. That's just dark. Think about that for just a moment. And what really breaks my heart is they lit up the Trade Center to celebrate it. That we're going to celebrate the fact that we can take a child's life Right up to birth. Not to be outdone, West Virginia, a week later, tries to pass their bill. And they go a little further when the governor explains, no, that baby could come out and we'll comfort it. And then we'll decide what to do with it. Meaning we could take its life literally outside the womb. Guys, I don't think the Decapolis had anything on our culture. I don't think, and a lot of us are saying, oh, why are you bringing that up? That's uncomfortable right now because I'm afraid we've gotten conditioned to evil. That should appall us. That should bring us to tears. That should cause us to move to prayer. And that should cause us to just love on young ladies with unwanted pregnancies and and walk them through and and be an answer, not just a shrug of the soul. Show, oh, that's weird. That's poli- you know, we're so conditioned to say, oh, it's politics. I don't do that. No, that's just evil, guys. That's just wrong. And it always degrades. This is, this is the issue. Um, when, when we let sin run unabated and we let a guy in the tombs just be out there with his evil, it never just stays at a certain level. It goes down and down and down and down and it takes and it robs and it kills and it destroys till there's nothing left. And this is why we can never say, well, a little sin's okay. No, it's cancerous. It moves on us. It, it eats us from the inside out. And so that's what this guy was living with. And, and all their self-help, like, we'll contain the problem. We'll chain this guy up. We'll, we'll make it better. And it, nothing worked. So let's go on to verse 6. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me, for Jesus had 
uh, said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Um, I absolutely love that we have this guy. He runs to Jesus. He falls down. Don't torture me. Um, Jesus has authority. That's one of the things we've been looking at in the book of Mark. If you're in a small, small group, you've hit this already. Jesus has authority. This is the same guy that last chapter, the seas are going crazy, and he speaks and poof, calm. As Doug said, it was like glass. This is the guy that had the leper come to him in chapter 1 that said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. And then he goes a step further and touches the man with leprosy. Why? To show, I have authority. This is the one that when he taught, they were amazed because he spoke as one with authority. And now we have someone with this demonic thing going on, and Jesus has authority so much so that where everyone else can't bind him, this guy runs to Jesus and falls down. No chains, no tactics, no human efforts. Jesus has authority. If you don't learn anything else today, leave with that. Jesus has authority. Verse 9, it says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. Okay, I'm troubled that he's asking this demon-possessed guy or this demon, what is your name? Because that sounds like a scary movie. And I won't read, I won't try to mimic whatever that voice sounded like, but he says, my name is Legion. We'll just pretend he sounded like you and me. He probably didn't. <laughs> he replied, for we are many. Oh, there's more than one of you in there. How many have ever dated that person? <laughs> not me, not me. For we are many. Verse 10. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Make a note of that. He begged Jesus. Authority. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The number of the herd were about 2,000 in number. They rushed down a steep bank into a lake and were drowned. A couple things here. Number one, he says, my name is Legion. Now, a legion in Roman times could number up to 6,000 men. It was the largest military unit they had, a legion. This guy could have had 6,000 friends, 6,000 demons in him. He had a lot. The number's not really important. What is interesting is this man was living with demons, but when pigs got demons, they said, oh, I'm not living with this, and they killed themselves. It's interesting what a pig won't live with, and we will. When I read this segment, I'm kind of amazed, and I'm kind of unsettled because Jesus is talking to this guy like, what's your name? I'm Legion. And... Then they're talking back to Jesus. Don't send us out of the area. Don't torment us. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus is like, all right. Go into the pigs. I know a lot of Christians that have made a whole lot of stuff out of talking about demons and scary things. I try not to make that my habit. I know people that have wondered, like, how many demons were there and... Uh, there, there are some things we can learn about the demonic in this story. They're right there. They're plain to see. 
But the one thing I see is Jesus was absolutely in control. So I don't care to study about how you talk to a demon or what a demon wants to do or not do. I find that irrelevant. I just want to be one of the dudes real close to Jesus. Because he seems to know exactly what to do. And I find that if we're close to him, he shields us, he shadows us, he leads us to what we need to do. He's our source, not knowing what evil is. Know who he is, know his power. So, verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And this is the, my favorite part of the whole section. And they were afraid. Seriously, people? You weren't afraid when he's naked, cutting himself, breaking chains, howling at the moon. That's okay. We understand. It's crazy Joe. But now that he's dressed in his right mind and normal, they're, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Why is that, you suppose? Well, for starts, there was a lot of bacon that died that day. A whole lot of bacon. How many have ever bought bacon lately? Whoo! Seriously, no one here eats bacon? Me and Tom? Come on, man. Wait, yeah, bacon's expensive. You buy it. Smith, five bucks a pound on that. Three if you're getting the cheap stuff on sale at Walmart. Bacon, 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of bacon. That's a lot of cash. So they could have been afraid, like, this guy's going to ruin us financially. If he goes delivering the other guys, we may go broke in the Decapolis. So that's a real, Jesus could cost some money. Uh, I think there's another thing at stake here, too. How many love looking sometimes uh, maybe at the news or maybe you're at family dinner and you look across the room at a big gathering at Thanksgiving and you're like, whew, at least I'm not the craziest one in the family. There's always Sheila or there's always Bob. And you can look at someone else around you that like, yeah, there's always that guy, you know, I'm all right. But what happens one day when, you, when you're gone for a year and you come back and all of a sudden, Sheila or Bob, they're dressed well, and they've lost 30 pounds, and they're speaking well, and they're kind and courteous, and they're generous, and all of a sudden, you're the low, low slat. You're like, oh, crud. I pick up my game. I got to do something. I don't want to hang out. This guy makes me look bad. I have a feeling that this could have been a play that, you know, at one point, everybody could, like, point to the tomb and say, at least I'm not that guy. And when they saw the guy that was literally the dregs of society now clothed in his right mind, looking good, they're terrified. They're afraid. I think it could have exposed maybe something in their heart. Maybe they didn't look as good anymore. We don't know. But it says this. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well. Then they began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So, John 3, 16, 17 and, uh, through 21 really gives us, I think, insight into what might have been going on with the townspeople. And I'm not going to dog them out much, but let's read that. 
you have a Bible, you can turn to it or listen to me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That includes a guy possessed with up to 6,000 demonic spirits, naked, howling at the moon, that when he turned to Jesus, he has eternal life. That right now in heaven, there is some guy that we don't know his name, but he's up there with quite a story. And he has eternal life. We'll spend eternity with that dude. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't come there to say, shame on you for being so bound in evil. Shame for you for being so filthy naked. Shame on you for scaring people. Shame on you for all the things. Shame on you for having 6,000 problems, 6,000 addictions, 6,000 this or that. He didn't come to condemn. He came to set that guy free. That was his mission. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light is coming to the world. But people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. So I have a feeling what happened. The townspeople run down. This guy like turned to Christ. He came and ran and fell at Jesus' feet. He's experienced freedom. But not everybody was willing to go there because they may not have had 6,000 problems, but maybe they had two, maybe they had three. And it was something that controlled their life that they really weren't comfortable giving up and they really hated losing that much bacon. And they said, Jesus, please leave. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed, demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Now, let's just juxtapose this. Earlier, when he was demon-possessed, he begged not to leave. Remember that? Like in verse 10, he's begging. Don't send us out of the area. He's demon-possessed. He's begging. Don't send me away from here. See, sometimes in our addictions and in our sin, we can't imagine life without it. We beg, uh, Jesus, I want you, but I want to stay here too. I want to stay here with my sin. I want to stay here with my lust. I want to stay here with my habits. I want to stay here with my addiction. And earlier when he's possessed and not set free, he's begging, don't send me out of the area. I'm comfortable with the tombs. I'm comfortable with my death. I'm comfortable with the stench. I want you, but I want this too. But after being set free, his begging changes to Jesus. I beg you, let me be next to you. Let me go with you. See, it changes when you find Jesus having him is all that matters. When, when you have, you can't have Jesus and have arms for other things. When you finally get a hold of him, you, your heart's cry becomes a beg, a, a cry to say, I want you. Where you are, that's where I want to be. And that's what this guy developed, and he begs Jesus. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him. What? Hold on a second. The townspeople just negotiated with Jesus and said, Jesus, you're too scary. Please leave. Guess what he did? It says he got into his boat. The God that created the heavens and the earth that speaks to lepers and seas, healed this demon, gets into his boat because some townspeople say, please leave. All right. Gets into the boat. The, demon, the demons were saying, please don't send us out of there. Let us go to the pigs. He's like, all right, go to the pigs. He says yes to these two. 
The guy that just experienced this work, he says, no, I'm not going to let you go. Sounds mean, but he says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he's had on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, not just the Gerasenes, he began to tell all ten cities how much Jesus had done for him. And get this, and all the people were amazed. So I just love this. And, and obviously he's effective because we're going to see in Mark chapter 7 that Jesus, guess what? He gets his disciples back together. He says, guys, remember the Decapolis? Yeah, that party city we went to. And they're like, uh, let's go again. And they go to the Decapolis again. But this time, there are crowds waiting for Jesus. They weren't saying get away. They were waiting to hear him. They were waiting to be healed by him. Why? Because one naked, crazy guy that was full of demons got set free. And he went all over that place talking about how much the Lord had done for him. And they were amazed. So next time Jesus rolled into town, this place has seemed like the darkest, most unreachable, untouchable place that all the Pharisees were like, stay away. Jesus now invaded that darkness with one guy. And now he's got the crowds at the seashore saying, we want to hear from you. We want you to touch our lives. Later in the, gospel, later in the epistles, we find that this becomes a stronghold of Christianity. That the church rocked that place. Why? Because one guy... After Jesus died, was resurrected, I'm sure that dude was still working the Decapolis saying, let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. A couple observations. One, not at any point did Jesus ever, ever, ever hate the guy possessed with demons. He hated the evil that caught his life, but he never hated the person possessed. Can I just say, guys, there's no room to hate our world. Can I say, young ladies that have been caught up in abortion have been victims. They live with a scar and a pain that most of us don't know. And they need the church to love them. Can I say the people that have been just broken by sin, and right now they're naked and howling, and we look at them, oh, that Jesus never hated them, but loves them and seeks to set them free. There's no sin, there's no problem, there's no bondage, there's no anything that he doesn't have authority over, that he can't forgive, that he can't change in your life and use you in an amazing way. Jesus never, ever, ever hated the possessed guy. I believe Jesus always had a heart for the Decapolis, those ten cities. That's why he said, no, you can't go with me now. That guy must have felt so comforted with Jesus that could you imagine for the first time you're in your right mind, you're not controlled, and for the first time you're, you're like, this is living, this is life, and I just want to be next to you. Where you go, I want to go with you, Jesus, because I just want to be with you. And Jesus told him, no, i got a different mission for you. You're not going to sit in my shade yet, but there will be a day when you sit right here with me and there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. But right now, we've got a job to do. 
And I don't want to just make your life comfortable. I want to send you right back into the place you left, right into the place that changed you, right in the place that uh, mocked you, right in the place where you had no reputation. And I want you to go there and humble yourself and share how much I've done for you. And in this story, I, I recognize that Jesus didn't just love that guy. He loved him and sent him. And in this room, we have a whole bunch of people that have stories. Maybe you don't have 6,000 addictions or 6,000 problems or 6,000 demons. But none of you look so good when you came to Jesus. All of us had our stuff. And all of you have your people. Maybe it's not 10 cities worth, but it might be a family. It might be your neighborhood. Maybe it's 10 people. But you're uniquely positioned to go tell them what the Lord has done for you. And one day when Jesus returns, and he will, there will be a crowd of people that are like, I'm excited to see Jesus because I heard about him. So you have to embrace the fact that God loves you. Some of us say, oh, man, God will love me if I get rid of X, Y. That guy didn't get rid of, think about it. That guy was dirty and naked when Jesus loved him and set him free. Dirty and absolutely naked. Acting a fool. Jesus sets him free right then. God's not waiting for you to get your act together before he'll start working in your life. He wants to set you free right now because he alone has the authority to forgive you and to bring healing to your life and set you free. He alone has that. And he alone then has the power to say, I don't want to shield you from everything in this world, but I want to send you right back where you came because there are others like you that need to know me. Yes, it's about you, but it's not just about you. It's about those that Jesus would send you to. So we're going to pray this morning. And we're going to pray with an authority as if Jesus were sitting in this room because the Holy Spirit is here. And the presence of Christ is here, and he is able this morning to forgive and to set you free and to work in your life and bring healing that only he can bring. And maybe you've tried everything in the world, but can I tell you, Jesus, in a moment, with just a word, can heal you and touch you and start something new right here, right now in your life. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I thank you not... I thank you that you're not an idea, but you're real. Lord, would you bring healing in this place? Would, just like you spoke to that man those years ago, would you speak a word now to a heart and bring forgiveness and bring healing and set people free, Father? We ask this in Jesus' name. The one that traveled to the Decapolis, the one that died on a cross, the one that rose again, and the one that's returning. And Lord, we thank you that you have power, that you have authority, Jesus. And I pray even now, Lord, work in hearts. Thank you, Lord. God, you're good. God, you're good. How many say God's good? Now, um, I, I think it's, just so important, man. If God has started a work in your life, there's this temptation to be like, oh, I'm just going to be real private about it. You know, I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to say anything. 
that's nonsense. Could you imagine the demon-possessed guy like, hey, Jesus, have you got like five or ten minutes when everybody's gone? you think we could talk? No. It was out there in the open. It was, that was on. And it's so important that I think that if you sense God working your life right now, that you sensed even the smallest tinge of him saying, oh, and you know what I'm talking about, that you tell someone like, man, I, I sense God work in my heart. I sense God do something. And here's the thing I'm praying about. And here's what I believe God is doing or what God has done. And you let somebody know. Because I guarantee you, the enemy that hates you, when you walk out of this room, he's going to want to tell you, oh, we got to put your chains back on. we got to make you the lowest rung. we got to remind you that you're still responsible for your sin because you're not forgiven. we got to tell you that you're still addicted and wrong and God can never use you. He, he's going to say all that stuff to you. And he's going to say, that was just you thinking that when we prayed. And can I tell you, it is not that God spoke to you. And you need to let somebody know and uh, thank God for what he's doing. Some of you, he began a work today. Some of you, he, you're a work in progress like myself. And he continues to chip away and work in you. But let somebody know. Right on? All right. Will you stand with me? Father, we love you and we thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for the lives, Lord, that you're faithful to touch. Lord, bless your people. And let us go in your good grace. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Crossings Church Podcast. We meet at Desert Edge High School on the northwest corner of Estrella Boulevard and Yuma Road in Goodyear, Arizona. Our service times are 9 and 1030 a.m. Do you have kids? Bring them to our kids' service at 1030 a.m. You can find us at www.crossingschurchaz.org. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. God bless and have a great week.